Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Today, I pray that God's blessing you on this last Sunday of July already. If you're a student, school's just around the corner. Sorry for reminding you of that. This morning, we're going to continue our series in the Lord's Prayer. Um, by the way, if you're wondering why the side screens aren't running, they're broken. They'll be fixed by next week, so no big deal. Um, anyway, we're continuing this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Um, again, today, I think you're going to see us been the case all along that we're going to get to some pretty radical teaching uh, that's contained in the Lord's Prayer. Um, in the weeks leading up to today's message, we've seen some things, I pray, that are beginning to click with you about the Lord's Prayer. It begins with this label, Our Father. And so when Jesus is asked by his disciples, uh, teach us to pray, we want to pray like you, he begins with saying, well, when you pray, say, Our Father. Note that it's an intimate moment of relationship with a God in heaven who loves you. Then he goes on to say, take some time and hallow God's name. Hallowed be thy name. So you, you take a moment, you step back, and you say, okay, God, you're the awesome God, the infinite God, the all-knowing, all-present, uh, self-existent one. And you hallow his name for uh, a period because it's just good for you to have that acknowledgement going on in your life. Then Jesus goes on to say, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And with that declaration, what we're implying is that we're willing to be surrendered to his kingdom. We're willing to be surrendered to his will. And we have to begin to think in terms of kingdom understanding to, to get what Christ is all about and, and, and what, what he's bringing about. And then it goes on into this implication of dependency. Give us this day our daily bread. And what we're saying when we, we pray that, make that declaration, give us this day our daily bread, is that we are utterly 100% dependent upon you, God. See, when you get to this point in the Lord's Prayer, everything in the Lord's Prayer kind of ties together. So now you get to this point in the Lord's Prayer, and basically you're saying, I'm a surrendered, dependent person upon you, God. Now you're ready for transformation. Now you're ready for some deep soul work. Forgive us our sins. God, what I want is cleansing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done implies your kingdom is coming, and your kingdom's a holy kingdom because you're a holy God. And so if we're going to be the right kind of subjects, we're going to also be holy people. Cleanse me from my sinfulness. Create in me a new heart, God. If there be any wayward way in me, find it out and take it away from me. Because you're a holy God and it's a holy kingdom that you're establishing. So you're calling to yourself a holy habitation of holy people. And now we get to the part we're going to talk about this morning. As we forgive those who sin against us. And so that's our declaration today, is this. As we forgive those who sin against us. That's the petition of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at this morning. It has this implication. Release. Release. And this release, I think, has two levels to it, uh, two angles to it that I want to talk with you on very quickly. When we say... Uh, you know, the implication here is release. We mean this. You are set free from the offense that someone has committed against you. You are freed from that offense. When you are an unforgiving person, you damage yourself. It makes you sour in spirit. It creates bitterness and resentment in you. You may be justified 
in being offended, okay? But if you allow that offense to reside in your heart, it will wreak havoc with your soul. It'll wreck you from the inside out. And part of the reason the Lord Jesus calls us to forgive is that it is a releasing thing. You're freed from the captivity of that thing, you know, being a slave master over you. Years ago, I read this study. It showed that forgiveness even messes up your health. I'm just going to read this to you this morning. Listen to what it said. It called, it's entitled, uh, Forgiveness May Be Good for Your Health. It is commonly accepted that forgiveness is good for your soul. Now research suggests that it is good for your body as well. Michael McCullough, Ph. assistant professor of psychology at Louisiana Tech University, made this finding after studying people who had experienced harm at the hands of others in some major event, such as a criminal act, uh, physical assault, uh, a bitter divorce, or even severe marital conflict. He focused on whether the victims had forgiven the perpetrator or were still actively angry some 400 days after the event took place. Those who were still mad had converted their short-term anger into a chronic condition. And there's a proven connection between anger and the exacerbation of conditions like heart disease and other stress-related illnesses. In contrast, McCulloch found that the people who had forgiven the perpetrators of harm against them did not show a similar chronic angry state. In short, they had diffused this potentially damaging emotion through the act of forgiving. Successful forgiving includes several factors, the most significant of which seems to be the ability to empathize with the person who did you harm. Knowledge of the person's past history is helpful in gaining some perspective on why he or she harmed you. A related factor is the ability to remember your own past needs for forgiveness when you harmed others, along with your feelings of gratefulness and relief when you were forgiven. On the other hand, those who are chronically angry are likely to focus on getting revenge by refusing to forgive and forget. What they don't realize, uh, says McCulloch, is that they are likely to pay a price in terms of physical health, a continuing drain on their emotional energies, and a loss of sense of the world as a supportive and satisfying place. For all these reasons, learning to forgive is more than an act of generosity to others, he adds. It can be life-enhancing and perhaps even life-saving for some. So, when we say, I forgive somebody else, it's good for your soul. Right? Are you getting this? It is good for you to not hold on to the offense. Secondly, you set the offender free from retaliation. You set the offender free from retaliation. Unforgiveness can start this dysfunctional relational game of retaliation. Radio preacher and author Chuck Swindoll tells a story of retaliation. Listen to this story. It's kind of cute. It's called Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Backwards. All of this reminds me of a story involving some American soldiers during the Korean War. They had rented a house and they'd hired a local boy to do their housekeeping and cooking. It was common during that war for soldiers to get that kind of setup um, for easy come, easy go, easy pay help. This Korean fellow they hired had an unbelievably positive attitude. He was always smiling and they played one trick after another on him. They nailed his shoes to the floor and he'd get up in the morning pull the nails out, 
slip on the shoes, and maintain his excellent spirit. They put grease in the stove handles, and he would wipe each one off, smiling and singing his way through the day. They balanced buckets of water over the door, and he got drenched, but he would dry off, never fuss, time after time. Finally, they became so ashamed of themselves that they called him in one day and said, we want you to know we're never going to trick you again. Your attitude has just been so outstanding. So this Korean fellow asked, you mean no more nailing my shoes to the floor? No. No more grease on stove handles? No. No more buckets of water on the door to get me wet? No. And he said, okay then, I won't spit in your soup and food anymore. (laughs) Retaliation is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Listen, when you have this unforgiving spirit towards somebody and you get into this retaliation game, nobody wins. It's devastating. Forgiveness and the topic of unforgiveness is it's really difficult. It's really easy to get offended. It really is. It's easy to get dinged up and for small wounds to fester and to hold on to that stuff. You know, it's almost energizing in a super dysfunctional way. Sometimes you look at a person and you think, why are they so offended and angry all the time? Well, it's what drives them. And it's so utterly, utterly dysfunctional. It's so wrong and draining. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus hits on this topic of forgiveness or unforgiveness, smack on. He starts in verse 15, teaching that if someone sins against you, you are to go to that one and show him or her their fault just between the two of you. Here's the idea. If you've been offended by somebody, especially if they're in the body of Christ or maybe in your immediate family or whatever it be the case, you're to go to them and you're to have it out in a good way. Partly because you might be just as wrong as they are. That's why you go one-on-one. You might be just as sinning as they are. Are you hearing me on this? I hear, I, I see a lot of offended people, but they're equally wrong as the one who's offending them. And part of the reason for going face-to-face is to have relationship restored. That's what this is all about. Jesus wants relationship to be restored between two offended people. So you go one-on-one. Now, if that doesn't work, then you can pull in other people and there's other iterations you go to. But, but I just, I, I love this story because you can see the wheels turning in the disciples as they're listening. And Peter, bless his heart, verbalizes a question I think that so many of us have. He says to Jesus, well, how many times do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? And Jesus says, not seven, but 77 times. In other words, every time. Why would Jesus say this? Because unforgiveness destroys you as a person. It's a big deal. This doesn't mean you let people do whatever they want and then just say forgive them. It doesn't mean we're called to be doormats and all that kind of thing. But we are going to get offended and sinned against a lot in this life. And what it means is we don't let it take a hold of our hearts and create a bitter root in us and destroy us from the inside out. This is a terribly important topic. You need 
to be released from the captivity of that thing, and you need to release others from your retaliation. It's so, so I- important. Um, and re- retaliation is subtle. I see this all the time in myself and others. But we may not do it overtly, but our retaliation is distance from that person, or I see them coming, and you just kind of turn this way, or they say hi, and you, you know, you're retaliating because you're mad at them all the time. So if you, if you have someone that you're kind of responding that way to, you need to work it out. You need to figure it out because that thing's eating you from the inside out and it's taking you captive and you are retaliating. It's just a passive-aggressive form of retaliation. It's not in-your-face kind of retaliation. You get what I'm saying here? And this, this unforgiveness thing is, is, is a big deal. And by going to someone who you think has sinned against you, you get clarity. You get understanding. And you get some, at least some hope at restoring relationship. So this question by Peter launches Jesus then into a parable. He says 77 times you have to forgive. Then he gives an illuminating parable about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And I'm going to read that to you right now. It's from Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Do you see how this parable starts? Did you hear that first line? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. A few weeks back, I talked about Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I talked about we won't begin to understand a lot of the New Testament until we have a kingdom mentality, until we understand this kingdom language. So Jesus is, is teaching on this need to forgive and how bad unforgiveness is. He says, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who forgives a great debt for the servant. And we're supposed to see, oh, Jesus is our king, Right? And we, every single one of us, we all have insurmountable bags of gold debt of sin that we owe him that we can't possibly pay back. And we're supposed to put all this together and go, oh, this parable is directed at each one of us. So I want to talk about the parable of the unforgiving servant for a few moments. It just kind of brings some clarity to all this. But understand, think in terms 
of a kingdom and a king. Okay? Kind of have that frame as I'm talking with you this morning. The servant's huge debt was canceled by the benevolent king in this parable. It was forgiven. I heard it said this guy owed like $2 million. He was never going to pay that back. It was a virtual impossibility. That's the point. He was hopelessly indebted to the king. Listen, you and I are hopelessly indebted to God. We cannot make our sin right. It's too big of a debt. We cannot do a few good things and bargain our way out of our issue and be all right with our King Jesus. Jesus came and saved us from our sins by being the payment we couldn't make. It was an insurmountable payment. We couldn't do it. We had no resources to do it, to make ourselves right. Jesus gave himself on the cross, and that ought to create in us this attitude of gratefulness. What should have been the servant's attitude when he was forgiven so much debt? What should have been his attitude? One happy dude, right? One grateful person, one changed individual. He should have been so utterly grateful for his canceled debt that surely when he ran into his fellow servant who owed him a pittance compared to what he owed the king, surely he could just say, you know what, I've been forgiven so much over here by my king, my benevolent king, that yeah, you know, I know you owe me a hundred silver coins, but I forgive that of you. Because I'm so utterly grateful for what my king has done for me. Now transfer that right to our walk in God. We have been forgiven so much by God, haven't we? All of our sin is gone. The scripture says, though our sin be, you know, Red, now we're like white as snow right before him and all that kind of stuff. We, we should turn around and when a brother or sister or somebody does a minor infraction against us, we should be so full of gratefulness and joy at the forgiveness that we've experienced in God of our great debt of sin that we can look at that person and say, I forgive you. And it shouldn't take hold on our hearts. And we shouldn't grab them by the throat and say, I want my pound of flesh. Because we're overwhelmed with gratefulness to God. Now, I think here's part of the problem that the servant had. He was a bargainer. He was a negotiator. He tried to come up with a plan. He was virtually stuck. He couldn't do it. But he was bargaining to the end. Can you be patient with me? I can pay it back. He was into this, you know, I can come up with a plan. And the king, in spite of that, took pity on him and forgave the debt. Wow. I don't think he realized what had transpired. I don't think it sunk into his understanding. I've just been forgiven this great debt. You see, the servant didn't seem to realize the full implication of his debt being canceled as he tried to bargain his way out of the debt. Ah, stop here a minute with me, please. Beloved, stop and listen. Do you know and realize, do you really realize in the depths of your heart what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand the debt that he's paid on your behalf? Has it gripped your heart? Has it changed your worldview? Has that reality sunk in? 
Otherwise, we're going to be like this unmerciful servant. We're going to go, woo! That was close. Got it on that one. And we're not going to get the implication of what really has transpired as we think we kind of bargained with God. And we, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. So here's the point we're supposed to understand. This is point two. The servant was expected to give mercy to others of the same kind he received from the king. I mean, there's no comparison of the, of the debt owed here. That, that's supposed to be the case. It's, it's supposed to be this huge contrast and comparison thing that's going on. And the servant should have been so full of gratefulness that this small debt that his fellow servant owed him should have been no big deal. I can forgive you of that. And this whole parable is supposed to kind of rip our worldview apart a little bit and kind of mess with our hearts. Because oftentimes we're really offended over here by very minor things. And we ought not to be. So I want to ask you a question, a little self-examination question this morning, a little self-awareness moment for you. Is there some sin against you that it's time to forgive so that you release yourself from it and you release others from your retaliation? Is there something going on? As I was putting this message together, guess what? I came up with a nice long list for myself. I said, honestly, some of these things have been around too long in my heart, and they're just going to be gone now. Write something down here. Surely there's something going on that God is saying, you know what? You've been letting this thing grip you way too long and take you captive. Get over it. It's time to get over it by the filling of the Holy Spirit within you. I was listening to a podcast here just the other day as I was doing a little bit of a workout, and um, the uh, guy that was giving the podcast was saying how when he was 14 years old, they moved to a new place, which is always difficult for a kid. And he said, I was an average basketball player, I'll grant you that, but I went out for the basketball team, hoping to make the team and be part of the team. He was cut. As he went in to talk to coach about being cut, the coach said, well, yeah, you're actually better than a lot of players I didn't cut, but they've been around here longer than you have. And also their parents are really good boosters of the program and give a lot of money. And so I elected to cut you. He said it was a very embittering experience. And he, he, he admitted, he said, I'm 40-some years old. I just went on sabbatical. I finally dealt with this thing. All these years I've been proven that I'm good. I've been proving that coach is wrong. I've been transferring those feelings to other situations I find myself in. And I've been always saying, I, I measure up, I measure up, I measure up. All because he didn't forgive and forget and move on. That thing still had him captive and he got released from it and he released that coach from it. These issues of unforgiveness are a big deal. And here's a really sobering point. This is point three. Our Heavenly Father will give us what we deserve if we don't forgive from the heart. He'll give us what we deserve if we don't forgive from the heart. I don't want what I deserve. How about you? I don't want what I deserve. I want God's mercy. And what what we're learning here is this. Unforgiveness is a big deal. I want you to do something with me today. That's going to show up on the board behind me. See that? I want you to say it out loud with me. I'm going to count to three. Let's say it out loud. One, two, three. 
Unforgiveness is a big deal. Some of you aren't convinced because you didn't say it. Now, I know some of you say, well, I don't just speak. I don't do that kind of thing. But listen, I want to say it again, but you need to say it like you really believe it because it's a big deal. Let's say it again. One, two, three. Unforgiveness is a big deal. Every time you're tempted to not forgive, I want you to hear that. I want you to see my face, as ugly as it is, telling you, unforgiveness is a big honk deal. Don't stay in that state of unforgiveness. It hurts you more than it hurts anybody else. So here's the question that I was grappling with, uh, walking through this scenario. How then do I get released from the hurt? Okay, I know that, that, that I, I'm supposed to, you know, forgive so I get, you know, released from the captivity of that offense and it doesn't take over my heart. I know that it releases the offender uh, from my retaliation. But, you know, honestly, sometimes things are done to us that just hurt. How do we get past the hurt? How do we begin to take that part of this equation and, and, and deal with it? I got some suggestions for you this morning. First of all, first of all, do not seek revenge. Never seek revenge when someone has done something wrong against you. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge for my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, saith the Lord. So, what we learn from the Lord's Prayer thus far is that we're to be surrendered and dependent upon him, right? So when somebody does something against us that's offensive, that's, that's a sin, it's an opportunity to remain surrendered and dependent upon God, okay? In the parable that Jesus shared, when the unmerciful servant was mean-spirited to the other servant and threw him into prison, that other servant didn't do the revenging. Who took care of the revenging in the, in the parable? The king. Who does the king represent? Jesus Christ. So when something's wrong or wrong is done to you, you have to just give it to Christ to take care of. Our king will take care of it. It's an opportunity for you and me to remain what? Surrendered? and dependent on Jesus Christ. In fact, it might be an opportunity for those very things to take hold in your life. Here's maybe the most important point I'm going to make here if you want to get past the hurt. This point too. Look beyond the pain, look beyond the pain, and ask, God, what are you up to? What are you up to, God? Jesus is marching towards the cross. The cross is a place of great pain and suffering. All the offenses and the sin of the world are going to be laid on Christ our Savior. The ultimate sin against is happening here. But yeah, we're told in the scripture, it was for the joy set before him that he could endure the cross. Because Jesus knew by going to the cross, he would take upon himself our sinfulness and the outcome of that would be the salvation of many just like us today. And so he could look through the pain of, of all that happening to him, and he could see what God was up to. If you want to get through the hurt of an offense, if you want to get through the hurt of someone sinning against you, you've got to look through that pain and say, God, what are you up to? A classic example of this 
case is Joseph of the Old Testament. This ancient patriarch was sold by his brothers into slavery. There's nothing like the betrayal of family to damage you and wound you, right? He's sold by his brothers into slavery. Well, then he ends up in this Egyptian captain's house, this guy's named Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph says, he's a good-looking boy. I want to have some relationship with this kid. And he, being an upright Jew, resisted her uh, seductions. And, 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 and as the story continues to unfold, she's scorned and she's upset. She falsely accuses him of trying to seduce her. And he's thrown in the prison. So, so listen to what happened. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's lied about by his, his master's wife. He's in prison and some things happen there, but then God raises him up to second in all of Egypt because he could, you know, uh, interpret dreams and, 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 and all that kind of thing. And so he's put in his position to save Egypt from a famine while his brothers who have betrayed him, they experience a famine in Canaan. They have to come to Joseph and they have to ask for food. They don't even know who he is. And he reveals himself to them, and they're really afraid for their lives, and they ought to have been. But you get to the end of the story of Joseph, and you see he was a person that could look through his pain and see what God was up to. He says to his brothers at one point, when they're, after, after, after their father died, they're really afraid that he's going to take, take a, a, a revenge on them. And he says, listen, you meant to harm me. These are words you ought to know, brothers and sisters. You, you meant to harm me, but God used it for good to save many. Joseph could look through the pain of all that offense perpetrated against him, and he said, I can see what God is up to. I can see how he's using this for good. If you want to get through the hurt of an offense, look through the pain and say, God, what are you up to? Thirdly, don't miss the grace that God extends to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 tells us this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Whenever you have to face, whatever you have to face in life, God will grace you, will enable you by the power of the Holy Spirit to endure it. And what you have to do is when something happens to you, instead of getting all bent out of shape, you have to step into the grace of God and say, I will trust in you, God. I will surrender to you. And oftentimes the hard things that we face becomes the tools that grace flows into our life through. Listen, if you don't abide in God's grace, you've got to take heed of this warning. If you don't abide in the grace of God, a bitter root will grow on you that defiles. That's not a good place to be in. Not a good place. Lastly, see yourself dead to your former life. To see yourself dead to your former life. Romans 6.6 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Listen, I wouldn't recommend you do this because you'll get in trouble, but you can poke a dead corpse, nothing will happen. No response. You can get in their face and you can say all kinds of mean things, nothing happens. Why? They're dead! Right? When something happens against you that's sinful or offensive, it is an opportunity for you to say, I no longer live, Christ lives in me. I am dead, and a dead person can't be offended. 
I must diminish, Christ must increase. It's an opportunity to die to self and give your life more fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. President Ronald Reagan was known in his day as a Teflon man. The news media would attack him and attack him and attack him, but nothing would stick. It's just like it was, like he was Teflon, like one of those frying pans, you know, that actually work, that nothing sticks to. Because I have a lot of them that say they don't stick, but they stick like crazy. But you know what I'm saying. I think oftentimes the people of God are more like Velcro people. Every little thing just sticks to you. You're walking around with all this junk stuck on you. We need to become Teflon coded. We need to become the people of God who aren't easily offended because we are so full of gratefulness to God. We're so overwhelmed with what he's done for us. How do I deal with hurt? Leave the revenge to God. Secondly, look beyond the pain and ask God, what are you up to? Thirdly, don't miss the grace that God is providing and realize you're dead. In fact, you're all dead. You're a bunch of dead people. You're good looking too because the more dead you are, the more Jesus is alive in you. And I'm looking at a bunch of alive people in Jesus Christ. It's okay to be dead to yourself and alive to him. You look good. It's good on you. Amen? I'm playing with words a little bit, but this is real truth. It really has to work this way. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to come and and conclude the service with the Lord's Prayer, uh, reciting it together. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Father... Our God who's in relationship with us, our God who's intimate with us, we hallow your name. We worship you. We acknowledge that you're loving and perfect and just and powerful and all-knowing. We acknowledge you have no beginning or end. We, we hallow your name. Your name is so holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In earth as it is in heaven, we surrender to you this day, Lord. You are the king and we are the subject. You are the ruler. We're the follower. Grace us, Lord, to be surrendered to you. Give us this day our daily bread. We are so utterly dependent upon you, God. If you were to remove your presence from us this day, we would cease to be. We would just explode into nothingness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God, as surrendered to dependent people on you, we want to experience that deep transformation that you offer. Your kingdom's a holy kingdom. You call to yourself a holy people. Cleanse us deep within. We surely don't want the sins and offenses of others to master our lives. Release us from their captivity and release others from our retaliation. And lead us not into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power forever. In your name, King Jesus, amen.